Welcome to the New Books Network. A renowned scholar, Dr. Daniel Block, Deuteronomy is the gospel according to Moses. Moses' farewell pastoral addresses call God's people to remember his grace in salvation, covenant relationship with him, and his revelation of a way of blessing in a lost world. Join us as we speak with Dan Block about his recent commentary on Deuteronomy. You are listening to New Books and Biblical Studies, a channel of the New Books Network, and I'm your host, Michael Morales. Daniel Block is the Gunther H. Nodler Professor Emeritus of Old Testament at Wheaton College. He is the author of more than 120 scholarly papers and articles on biblical texts and topics. His latest books include Ruth, the King is Coming, and Covenant, the Framework of God's Grand Plan of Redemption. Dan, welcome to New Books and Biblical Studies. Thank you very much. (laughs) So, Dan, you have spent many years studying and writing on Deuteronomy. While you have written on other books like Ezekiel, Judges, and Ruth, you return to Deuteronomy time and again. What is it about Deuteronomy that has led to such a passionate pursuit on your part? I, I keep, at this point, I keep returning to the book of Deuteronomy because of my my burden for the church to recover the grace of God in all of Scripture. And that includes what in what people call the law, Deuteronomy, second law, or law number two, which is the problem. The Septuagint translators got us off on the wrong track, and I now understand why they did. Uh, there's a great book out by Michael Lefebvre on canons, collections, and whatever. I've forgotten. In which he explains what happened in the history of interpretation in under the influence of the Greeks how in that picture of life where a civilized society is a society of law, that took over Jewish thinking about the entire Torah, I would argue, and that's what he argues as well. And he doesn't make the point as explicitly as I think he could have But when the Septuagint translators in the 3rd century B.C. were well into Hellenistic influence by then, when they uh, started rendering the word Torah as nomos, rather than didascalia or didache, with which, as the word is used in Deuteronomy, it has almost perfect semantic overlap. But when they rendered it as nomos, they canonized a reading of the Torah, whether by Torah we mean the entire Decalogue, or, as I am convinced, uh, we use it the way the psalmist uses it, that's the book of Deuteronomy, Patrick Miller got me onto that one, and I think he's quite right. It means the the Moses' farewell addresses to his people, 
This is not legislation. This is pastoral instruction with passion and with just a burden for the spiritual well-being of his people once they cross over the Jordan and get into the promised land. That was lost. So that now, when we read Dora instruction, we think law. And the first psalm should teach us something. Blessed is the man who doesn't walk in the counsel of the ungodly or sit in the seat of scorners or stand in the way of sinners. That's not the right order, but in any case. But his delight is in the Torah of Yahweh. And in it, he meditates, ruminates, marinates day and night. Now, if it if Torah means law, there is no joy in that. The joy comes from the gospel that always precedes law. And so the burden of my life of teaching and preaching is to unpack for the world the only Bible Jesus had, uh, and particularly the Torah, which was Jesus' favorite book. It defined his instruction, his teaching, his ministry more than any other book in the First Testament. So uh, I, I keep coming back to Deuteronomy. And, you know, by God's grace, there are some people who are picking this up. And when they invite you to come, and you've been with people for two or three sessions, they said, I've never heard this before. And I feel so sorry for those people because there is no there is no gospel without the preamble to the Decalogue. Uh, chapter six, verses 20 to 25 is so key. When your son asks you in days to come in the future, what's the point of all these laws, statutes, ordinances and stipulations? And he uses four words. And I love Moses answer. Those are four, shall we say, legislative terms. The, the explicit connotations of prescription. Moses' answer to this son is, and this is what I call the family catechism, domestic catechism. This is what you teach your son. We were slaves in Egypt, but the Lord brought us out. But your son says, I didn't ask that. I asked, what's the point of the law? And Moses says, Shh, I'll get there. But we can't talk about that without giving you the gospel first. The Lord, we were slaves in Egypt, but the Lord brought us out with signs and wonders. And now he's bringing us to the promised land. And, and he revealed to us his will and for our good. And that we might fear him and keep his words. And it will be righteousness for, for, for you if you will live completely faithful to the covenant by keeping these words. I mean, that, if, if that isn't gospel, I don't know what is. I think that's the paradigm we should look at. Or the other one is even more, even more condensed Deuteronomy is chapter 10, verse 12 to 11, verse 1. And now Israel. 
and, that, and that's a, a very intentional link in the light of all that we've been talking about. Now, so what? What does the Lord your God require of you? And if you ask our congregations, our people today in our churches, what did God require of the Israelites? The answers they will typically give are exactly what were the problems in Jesus and Paul's day. The external markers of covenant membership, namely circumcision, keeping ritual purity regulations, the festivals, and all those external things. The interesting thing is in Moses' response, he gives three answers, actually. Each of one has a prescription followed by a doxology and application to God's grace, particularly to Israel. Uh, every one of these, it starts that way. What does the Lord require of you? The first answer, but to fear the Lord your God. There are five things. Fear, this is the thumb of the finger. If the Decalogue is two hands, this is one. Fear, the first principle of wisdom. Fear Yahweh. doesn't mean be afraid. It means stand before him with reverence and awe and amazement for his grace. Walk in his ways. That's the finger pointing you, which, which is beautifully ambiguous, or is it ambivalent? Walk in his ways means walk the way he tells you to walk, or walk the way he walks. And in answer number two, he will use the second. He says, you shall show love to the alien as the Lord shows love to the alien. So you have an illustration. Then the middle one, the tall one, the center one, love. Love is, Malamat says, you never translate this with only one English word, ahev. Uh, love is covenant commitment demonstrated in action to the other person in that person's interest. That's love. Greater love has no one than this, that he gives his life for his friends. Or Jesus, uh, husbands, love your wives as Christ loved the church and sent roses. No, he didn't. He gave his life for it. That's love. The fourth one, this is serve the Lord. That is not just ritual service. That means being his vast. And in our culture, that is the ring finger. Marriage is a covenant. And this uh, ring on my finger is a symbol of my commitment to my wife that has driven us for 58 years that I am yours. Yes, ma'am. Uh, that is... We are vassals of the other. And then, of course, the little one. Oh, and keep the commands. Oh, by the way, there is that. But if you could live without any one of these five fingers, that's the one I would happily sacrifice. Because if you're doing all of this, this will take care of itself. So uh, that's the gospel. And then he talks about, for the Lord is God of gods, Lord of lords, creator of everything. He owns everything. But on you, you he has picked to be his special treasure. 
and so that that gives the motivation you know and then he then he, the second answer circumcise therefore your hearts from the inside out it's not moses never talks or does anything about physical circumcision that was a shocker to me when i discovered that for an, an essay i was writing he talks about spiritual circumcision paul didn't invent that in fact the lord did already in leviticus chapter 26 but moses talks about heart circumcision uh, circumcise therefore your hearts and stiffen no more i mean get your perspective in order and then he gives another doxology and another application and then of course yahweh alone you shall serve by his name alone you shall serve only to him you shall cling and uh, for the lord your god is you went to Egypt, just a handful of people, but you've come out. And innumerable hosts, that's what God has done for you. So it's, it's, all, it's all grounded in grace and God's lavish love for his people. And that's where I think we, we need to read all of Scripture. If the rest of Scripture, the prophets, sound harsh and hard, and they are, it's because the people have spat in the face of their gracious God. And what is an appropriate response? But then, of course, the good news is it doesn't end with the judgment. It ends with grace triumphing in the end. In any case, Ezekiel chapter 16 is so dramatic here. But anyhow, the, the book of Deuteronomy has turned my life around. I grew up in a dispensationalist world where there's a hard barrier between the two testaments. One is an age of law, dispensation of law. The other is the dispensation of grace. And I say, no, 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 no. It's a false dichotomy. Jesus says, if you love me, tell me. No, he doesn't. If you love me, Write nice music about me. No, he doesn't. If you love me, keep my commands. And that's the demonstration. That's the response to grace that runs from Abel down through the end of Revelation and in, in, into the eschaton and beyond. So I, I, that, that's what drives me. It's such a different world from the world in which I grew up in. And I have learned since that we got the same problems in Lutheranism, the law gospel dichotomy. Luther, I, I bless his heart for rediscovering the gospel of grace by faith alone. I mean, I, I, I celebrate that. But he so misread the First Testament. He so misread Moses. He read it through the lens of, of the Roman Catholic Church which is a ditto in its disposition of Second Temple Judaism. And that's what he saw there. And it's a problem. Now you had already published a commentary on Deuteronomy. So what's different and noteworthy about this new work? Well, it's a long story. Uh, my commentary, the NIVAC commentary, published by Zondervan, graciously published by Zondervan, that has been published into Chinese. And it was available for Chinese taking video courses on Deuteronomy that I have videotaped in Hong Kong and whatever else. 
But then the president of China passed the law saying no hard copy religious books. And they couldn't use uh, the book anymore. Can't circulate it in China. So what are we going to do? The missions agency for whom I work, they wrote the, the publisher of the translation and asked, can we use your PDFs and circulate electronically the translation? And for some mysterious reason, they said, no, I don't get it. Nobody, none of us in this circle gets it. So then we were trying to figure out, well, what, what are we going to do? How are we going to give our people act? They need a textbook. And then it dawned on us that when I sent my commentary to Zondervan, uh, the, the contract said 800 pages. I had 1,250 pages. And they forced us. I mean, that's I'm the editor of a commentary series, too. We're forcing people to fit into the mold. They forced us to cut out 40%, which meant the homework, the alternative alternative explanations of things and secondary literature discussions and whatever else. So it, it dawned on us that, that uh, on my computer was a 12-year-old manuscript, the bigger version, that had never been copy edited and nor edited for me as a final version, footnotes were incomplete, whatever else. And so we, we start, we contemplated, uh, we can't recommission a new translation. That's, that wouldn't be right. And they're copyright issues. And so we wrote Zondervan and asked for permission to base this commentary on my bigger work. And since it's now 12 years since that came out or whatever, I've forgotten, certainly almost 15 years since I submitted the manuscript, uh, there's a lot of stuff has happened. And I've been working in Deuteronomy since, and I've changed my mind on a few things. Uh, so what we did is we got a hold of that manuscript, that older one, and started working on it. It turned out to be a lot more work than I expected. It is not exhaustive updating, but on the other hand, it is updating. I've written, published 15 or 20 or 30 essays on Deuteronomy since NIVAC came out. And so I've been in this world, and so uh, I've done a lot of homework on that. So all of that is incorporated into this new, I've changed my mind on a few things. In the NIVAC version, I, the structure of the book is three speeches and then the anthem and then the benedictions. In the new version, it's four speeches. I am now convinced that a new address begins at chapter 12, verse 1. Chapters 5 to 11, it ends with an altar call. See, I set before you life and death or the blessing and the curse and and. and and then chapter 12 starts with a new heading. These are the, the ordinances and stipulations. And, and so we come to expect something of a different genre than chapters 5 through 10, which is prophetic preaching at its absolute best. It's not legislation. It is prophetic preaching. But as it turns out, after that heading, it's more prophetic preaching. <laughs> 
<laughs> and not until you get to about chapter 19 do you have lists of laws and things. Other than that, it's it, it's preaching on all sorts of good topics. Uh, in any case, that is all in, in the new. The um, secondary references uh, are, are back, and there's a lot more room for added scripture that where I juxtapose antecedent texts and Moses' response to antecedent texts. Uh, those, most of those were taken out in the Nyback version. They eat up a lot of space, and all they do is illustrate a point. But that illustration was lost, and so we, we put those back in. There are more diagrams and tables and things, a lot more. So uh, Zondervan was so gracious. I must give them credit at this point. Uh, Stan Gundry, who's chief editor of Zondervan, he gave us carte blanche freedom to do with it what we needed to do. And it also has my translation rather than Nivek. They gave us uh, full permission to do that. And that makes it flow a little bit better because my commentary is based on the way I read the text. So uh, in the Nivek version, there were occasions where I would have to say NIV says this, uh, not quite. <laughs> you know, so uh, so in, in a way, it, it has those advantages. It, it, it feels, at least to me, it feels quite different. Now, because when people teach courses in Deuteronomy, like Genesis, if they teach Genesis, if they get to chapter 11, they're doing well. We bogged down with all of that stuff. I know how that works. But in Deuteronomy, rarely do we get beyond chapter uh, chapter 11 in Deuteronomy. Because these first 11 chapters give us the theology of Deuteronomy. And what comes after is the application of the theology. And I think volumes 2 and 3 will actually turn out to be, they turn out to be the most significant in the new edition. Because there I have room to do all kinds of stuff with specific laws which in the reduction of the original manuscript, it, we were often thinking, well, people never read this anyhow, so this is where we can drop it. Whereas now that's all back, and I've had a chance to demonstrate, I hope, that in all of this, it's Moses the pastor we hear. He functions not as a legislator, but as a pastor. And until we get that, we will misread this book. So that's, I'm especially happy with the, the two, second and third volumes, because what people expect out of those sections of Deuteronomy, I think uh, they'll be in for some wonderful surprises. This book, volume one, covers Deuteronomy chapters one through 11. Would you explain for our listeners something of the content and significance of this part of Deuteronomy? Well, uh, volume one, which is already out, takes us from chapters one through 11. Chapters one to four, one verse six, actually, it starts at one six. One to four are presented as Moses' first address 
to his congregation as he prepares them for his departure. Their leader is leaving, as Jesus does with his disciples in the upper room. Peace I leave with you, my peace I give unto you. And he has his last discourse with them. That's what Moses is doing here. And in chapters 1 to 4, chapters 1 to 3, he remembers God's grace to Israel since they left Sinai. And in covenant treaty structure form, this is, this is the historical prologue. How did we get to this moment of covenant renewal on the plains of Moab? And that's what he does there. There are no laws in chapters 1 to 3. It's all about what has happened to us, uh, what we deserved, and the grace that God has shown since we left Sinai. And now we stand looking over the Jordan, and the promised land is there. In chapter 4, he turns to, a, shall we say, homiletical mode. And now Israel where he moves into the preaching mold. He's told the stories. What now does the Lord require of you? And then he offers a quick summary in reverse order of what happened historically. God's grace in Torah, 4, 1 to 8. God's grace in covenant, 4, 9 to 31. And God's grace in salvation, 4, 32 to uh, 40. They're in reverse order because I think he wants his people going to bed that night with a song of salvation on their hearts. And that's why he ends it. That's my rhetorical uh, approach to communicating this. Then when you get to chapter 5 to 11, he begins by reciting the Decalogue. He's obviously not reading it. There are a few changes he makes and and as uh, the authorized, inspired preacher, he can do that. But he made he, a few modifications. But he begins by reciting the Decalogue, which is the foundation document of the covenant made at Sinai. And he talks about that in chapter 4 already. But also the foundation of the covenant rituals that are about to happen here. And part of these rituals was Moses for addresses. This is not a new covenant. It's a new covenant ritual for this generation that was born in. They didn't experience the Exodus. They were born after the Exodus. Oh, there were those who were under 20 were uh, at Sinai. But most of these, uh, it's now 40 years later. Uh, so it's renewing the covenant with the people so that they cross the Jordan River as the people of God and not just a migratory band of bandits or nomads. They're going as the people of God to claim the promise. So he has to start out with a same document that underlies what happened at Sinai. And then he expounds on this with three or four sub-addresses, beginning with uh, each of which begins with Hero Israel. Hero Israel. And of course, we know Hero Israel, the Shema in chapter six. What now? Uh, no. Uh, Yahweh, our, our, 
Yahweh is our God, Yahweh alone, and you shall be covenantly committed to the Lord your God alone with all your inner being, with all your whole body, and with your all your resources. I think these are three concentric circles in the Shema. Uh, everything devoted to God, which means nothing devoted to any other God. There's no room. And then it, that's chapter six, ending with that son's question, what's the point of the laws? Uh, and Moses answered. Chapter seven is about, we're about to cross the land. When you get over there, stay true to the Lord, your God alone, which is why you must eliminate the Canaanites to protect a sacred agenda demands a sacred people in a holy land. We could use the word holy, a holy agenda, a holy people in a holy land on holy mission. That's chapter seven. Chapter eight. Oh, when you prosper in that land, be sure you're not seduced by the fertility gods of the land and give them credit for what God has done for you. Chapter nine. He remembers, you think you're getting this land because you're more righteous than the present inhabitants? I've got news for you. Since I knew you, you've been rebellious. And he, he gives a, a four or five illustrations, but he spends most of his time on the golden calf. And God in his mercy takes Israel back in response to Moses' intercessory prayer. And he has Moses chisel out new tablets and God re-inscribes the words of the original covenant document, the Decalogue, on these two tablets as a symbolic gesture. The covenant is back on. We're starting over. The terms are exactly the same. We haven't modified anything, but we're moving forward. And that becomes then uh, the, the, the grounds, uh, of what everything that comes after is an unpacking of the theological vision of the Decalogue. In chapter, uh, that, that's chapter 10. The second half of chapter 10 is again the catechism or the creedal statement. What does the Lord your God require of you? We talked about that earlier. And then in chapter 11, he prepares them again for life in the promised land. It is a gift. It is a treasure to be received from God and to be responded to with fidelity to the one who has done all for you. If it hadn't been for the grace and the mercy of God, you'd still be in Egypt making bricks without straw. But here we are in the land. So I set before you life and death. Choose life, choose the blessing and the curse. Uh, and that's the end of his preaching. But he adds one little addendum. When you get over the land, head straight for Gerizim and evil. There's one more dimension to the covenant ritual that has yet to take place. And he'll unpack it in chapter 27 later. But this, in my view, is the ritual by which Israel formally gains title to the land and the covenant triangle involving God, the people, and the land is fully enforced. And then they can go and begin the conquest. 
So when can we expect Volumes 2 and 3? Volume 2, I hope, is out by mid-February. It's all ready to go. The indexes have been prepared, and they're in the final stages of, of, well, they're receiving the endorsements right now. And as soon as they've got four or five endorsements in, then it'll go to press, and it should be on Amazon within a month. Uh, on Volume 3, the they are at the typesetting stage right now of Volume 3. Uh, when that is ready, I expect I will get it within a month. Then we will proofread that one more time and uh, wait for the final copy, which will then be the base for indexes. The, the goal is to have that out by June because I am going to Hong Kong uh, in July to work with this ch Chinese agency that we've been doing this for. And uh, they want to have a, a celebration of the completion of this whole project, which was done in Chinese before it was done in English. So uh, it, it's an amazing gift of God's grace that uh, he has given us interest and energy and passion for this. And the, the folks in, in, in China are wonderful people, and it will be good to celebrate with them. Dan, we're so thankful for your labors, especially in the book of Deuteronomy. Thank you for being with us today. All right. It's been my pleasure. If I can share the good news of God's grace, you know, I feel like those lepers in Kings, the story in Kings, who, who in, in, in the Syrian army camp there, it, it, Israelite lepers discover the army, the, the, the Syrians have gone and they've found all this food there and said, we got, got to go and share it with our people. It's not right that we gorge ourselves. And that's how I feel about this. If we can share the good news of God's grace at every phase of human history, then we happily do that. It's been good to talk to you. Friends, you've been listening to New Books and Biblical Studies, a channel of the New Books Network. Goodbye.